Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. So hello, everyone. My name is Deanna Hayes. I am a shareholder in Ogletree Deacon's Tampa office. So hello from sunny Florida. I am also the chair of Ogletree's multi-state advice and counseling practice group. And I'm really excited to be here today with everyone and particularly to be joined by my colleague, Susan Gorey, from our Indianapolis office. She is one of the key members of our multi-state practice group here at Ogletree and helps with a lot of multi-state projects for clients across the country. Susan, say hello and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode of what we are very excited to call Multi-State Mondays. And unfortunately, I cannot say I'm in warm Florida. I am in cold Indiana. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're excited for you to be here with us. And with this multi-state podcast series, Multi-State Mondays, we thought we would bring to you our first episode in honor of April Fool's Day that multi-state compliance is no joke. And I think we can all say that with confidence. Um, For sure. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like multi-state compliance has become more complex by the day. And there are certainly hidden issues out there. Everything is constantly changing. So one thing we can promise is hopefully this will never be boring. I don't think it ever will be, especially since we are so excited and passionate about multi-state compliance. So one of the things that gave us inspiration to create this podcast is Ogletree actually does an annual benchmarking survey of key decision makers uh, every year. And last year, there were about a thousand respondents that weighed in and multi-state and multi-jurisdictional compliance was within the top five most challenging issues for the respondents. And I think that certainly still rings true. We're actually currently in the process of updating this benchmarking survey, so we should have this year's results to share, hopefully in an upcoming episode. And as part of that survey, the respondents also weighed in on the most challenging multi-jurisdictional compliance issues within the topic. So those are, and I'm sure they'll be familiar to many of you listening on the call today, Number one, leaves of absence. So that covers everything from paid sick leave, state leave laws that might intersect with the Family and Medical Leave Act on the federal level, state FMLA laws, and other types of leaves. Number two is wage and hour laws. So show me the money. Those states that might have different requirements for minimum wage or overtime or deductions, etc. Number three handbooks and other policies. So how do we keep these key company documents in compliance across the country and make sure that they're up to date as all these things are changing? Number four, 
background checks. And that's getting increasingly complex when it comes to screening and the hiring process with pay transparency and other issues that have been added into the mix over the past couple of years. And finally, number five is marijuana laws. So certainly uh, <laughs> that's no joke and can be increasingly complex as well, because now we don't just have medical marijuana, of course, we have some states that allow for recreational marijuana as well. Don't forget the mushrooms in Colorado. Yes, Colorado is certainly on (laughs) on the cutting edge when it comes to allowable substances. So, So Susan, I can't talk about marijuana without thinking of my favorite marijuana joke. Do you want to hear it? I do want to hear it. So what do you get when you eat too much marijuana? Is this in the form of brownies, gummies, or anything? Anything. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I don't know. A pot belly. Oh, God. Oh, God. God. This this is the April Fool's episode, so we have That is so right. That is a good one. I've never heard of that one. Those are the five issues that the respondents weighed in on on this survey. And Susan, I know you do a lot of this work. You know, what does multi-state compliance mean to you and what are you seeing in this space? Well, as you and I often discuss, other than giving um, clients and myself and you more gray hairs than what we need to have, certainly is something that faces so many companies. You know, recently we've seen a surge of mergers and acquisitions. We've also seen a lot of companies have extreme growth where they move from just one state or two states in a particular region to multiple states across the U.S., as well as the other area of growth is remote employees and where just simply to have workers join the company, they have to agree to having remote employees really across the country sometimes. And when you ask me, what does multi-state compliance mean to me? I would say making sure being able to keep up with and track and follow the patchwork of laws that are different in each state. For example, what you can do in Indiana does not necessarily mean that you can do it in Arizona or Nevada or Florida even. And what works in one state for a particular issue or policy does not work in other states. So in a nutshell, that's what it means to me. And it's constantly changing. And like I mentioned, it's a patchwork of laws and it's constantly more complex as the days go on. So if I'm a Florida company and I make orange juice and my PR director decides to move to Colorado and work out of her Winnebago and live the mountain life, is that something that I have to worry about? Yes, indeed. You have to worry about that remote employee because Colorado has certain employment notices. If your orange juice company drug tests, you now have to worry about the marijuana and mushroom allowability in Colorado. There are certain paid sick leave requirements and family leave law requirements and all kinds of other things with regard to wage hour issues, such as timing of pay, um, mandating direct deposit, and 
all the other wonderful issues that come along with multi-state compliance. Wow. So that's certainly eye-opening. You know, it, it's important for employers to be thinking about that not only might they want to be aware of the laws that are in place where they're physically doing business, but where they have remote workers as well. Absolutely. And although some people thought that the remote worker trend would decrease, we are seeing more and more of it every day. And in fact, in my handbook practice, I actually am seeing a lot of remote only companies. Wow, sure. It's really interesting to see and to see how that trend continues to develop over the next you know, five years, let's say. Absolutely. Well, since I'm sharing uh, benchmarking data and some statistics, I also thought it might be interesting to share uh, Lex Machina actually releases an employment litigation report on an annual basis. And the most recent report that they have published is for 2022 and has a data as recent as 2021. And part of that report indicates that the total employment damages awarded in employment litigation in 2021 was over $1,000,000,066,000. So it's certainly a huge amount and there it certainly gives employers a reason to want to be compliant and be motivated to stay abreast of all of these issues. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, even in today's day and age where we hear so much about remote employers with regard to employees in one state, sometimes the employers don't even have protective policies or practices in place that can help them. Because one of the, the big issues that I see facing employers, and I know you have as well, is when they do have remote employees and then guess what? They move never tell HR, never tell the company. And all of a sudden they're living in California when they were living in a state like Oklahoma or Indiana that does not have the state laws that California does. And now all of a sudden that employer is not compliant. That can lead to major issues, especially in California, as we know. That's a great point. So another tip then that employers might want to consider looking at as, as they're updating their policies and their handbooks is taking a look at whether remote work is addressed in the handbook and maybe even where it might be fitting to have an individual remote work agreement with those employees who are going to be working remotely on an extended or a permanent basis. Is that something that you've seen? Yes, indeed. And we have revised policies to just put it in the handbook to state that employees in the home state must contact HR if they wish to either move from their current home address or from the state. And the reason for that is because some jurisdictions within certain states have different requirements for paid sick leave laws and or drug testing requirements than other cities in the same state. So even though we are thinking generally about multi-state compliance on a state level, there's all kinds of local and city ordinances, requirements, and laws that also come into play. 
That's right. I, I think I saw that in California now there are over 10 different <laughs> paid sick leave requirements, yes. depending upon where you are in California. So it's, it's almost mind boggling the amount of regulations that are out there. Yes. In fact, I often tell our California colleagues in California that now I understand why there are so many wineries out there because they need <laughs> it for all the different laws. So it's just sometimes I get handbooks when we're asked to revise them that we still see some of the policies that even though they have been a multi-state employer for several years, they still have non-compliant policies. So what are some examples or some low-hanging fruit that our listeners might want to be on the lookout for as they're reviewing their handbooks this first quarter? Well, and that's a good point that you raise. It is the first quarter. Um, Normally, we see a lot of employers kind of check this off their list. Some, of course, push it down into the summer and then we get kind of, you know, all kinds of requests towards the end of the fall, but it's always good at the beginning of the year to review it. And the most common kind of low hanging fruits that I see are policies regarding mandating direct deposit, because a lot of employers are not aware that in some states you cannot mandate direct deposit. It's just simply not allowed. Right. My home state of Florida is one of those states, in fact. Yep. And, you know, kind of similarly, um, specifying the pay periods. Um, Certain states have certain requirements or laws that you have to pay a certain group of employees, you know, more often than other states. Sometimes the policies state that employees are not permitted to disclose their salary to other employees. And not only does that have an issue with regard to multiple state laws, But now, thanks to our very active NLRB, we're getting into the traditional labor laws surrounding that. Right, exactly. And the National Labor Relations Board, for those of you who may not have been following the recent cases, of course, we have the big McLaren case that made us flash and really dictates what employers can require with respect to confidentiality in certain agreements. And I think the question is now, you know, is that going to bleed into handbooks, even though, of course, handbooks are not contracts? And or does it signal this return of the National Labor Relations Board to the mindset of really scrutinizing employer handbooks? That's something that we saw during President Obama's administration, where the board took an interest in things like social media policies, dress codes, conflicts of interest, code of conduct, Uh, outside employment, just to name a few. So it certainly seems like if you haven't dusted those policies off in a while and taken a look at how they might be viewed by the current board, that it might be a good time to do that. Absolutely. And I can't, I cannot emphasize that enough. It's, that is a very good tip just because there are so many you know, what seem to be simple statements in work rules and or social media policies that kind of come into play with regard to that most recent case by the NLRB. And then the other ones, you know, kind of as we wrap up here, the other policies that are kind of low hanging fruit are vacation forfeiture Mm -hmm. rules, because in some states you cannot mandate that employees have a use or lose it. 
other states, you have to clearly state what your policy is, because if you don't, then you have to pay employees at termination. And there are even some states that do not permit forfeiture during the year. Those policies, another big one that I'm seeing a lot of companies, um, not only if they didn't have them now, they're kind of, you know, making them more robust or they're implementing them now for 2023 and beyond. Um, but they can be problematic, especially if you are in multiple states that are paid sick leave laws and or have paid family medical leave laws. And that is paid parental leave. That is a big one that gives a lot of us gray hair. You know, the other one that is very similar is providing sick leave to either part-time and or temporary workers. And some states even go further to that and provide it to um, seasonal workers as well. So it's just, you and I often say it's a multi-state mayhem of laws. <laughs> and, um, um, but, you know, like we say, it um, certainly is never boring. And we'll try to delve into those topics in more detail because they are so complex in unique episodes so that we can get a little bit deeper into the weeds about what's required. And and speaking of that, just as a kind of a final takeaway that employers might want to be on the lookout for as they're updating these employee handbooks are the additional protections that are out there for pregnant workers. We have the Pump Act, which takes effect on April 28th, that really expands the breastfeeding protections that are provided by the Affordable Care Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act, make sure that all employees are able to take advantage of those protections, not just hourly employees. And as we're in our multi-state madness, that really just sets the floor at the federal level. There are many jurisdictions that require additional protections, just to name a a few off the top of my head, California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, et cetera. So that's something to be on the lookout for. And also the pregnant worker Fairness Act that goes into effect on June 27th, which expands the accommodations requirements for pregnant employees uh, as well. So all good food for thought as you're thinking about how you can strengthen your multi-state compliance tools going into the rest of this year. We hope to be with you again at an upcoming episode. And I just wanted to thank Susan Gorey again for participating in the episode with me. Absolutely, Deanna. It's great. And we are very much looking forward to having more episodes of very exciting multi-state issues. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.